Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us, a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein, and today is episode 153. It's titled, Will Social Security Go Bankrupt? Today's topic suggestion came from Jay, who is a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus, and he had some questions on Social Security, but they were very, very educated questions. In fact, I'm going to quote a little bit from his email later in the show. But let's start with a headline article from Zero Hedge. If you want to feel terrified of the world, try reading some of the articles on Zero Hedge, such as this one. Scathing new report shows just how bankrupt Social Security really is. Here's some sentences from the article. It's absolutely incredible. The government is publishing this data in black and white. Talking about a report the Social Security Administration published. They're telling anyone who's willing to listen that Social Security has dug itself into an impossible hole. More importantly, they're telling us there's a 0% chance that the government will be able to honor its existing commitments. They'll either have to radically raise taxes or simply reduce or eliminate the Social Security benefits that they have been promising taxpayers for decades. The younger you are, the steeper the price you'll pay. If you're in your 60s, for example, you may likely see your benefits cut. If you're in your 40s or 50s, you can count on it. And if you're in your 30s or younger, you can not only forget about Social Security, but you can expect to pay more and more taxes to bail out a program that won't be there for you when it comes time for you to collect. This is what happens when nations go bankrupt. That is Zero Hedge. And and no wonder workers are worried. A recent study by Transamerica showed that 77% of workers expressed concern that Social Security will run completely out of money by the time they retire. Now, if you're a non-U.S. listener, what is Social Security? It's a U.S. government program for providing retirement and disability payments to U.S. citizens. It was established in 1935, and it is by far the largest annual expenditure by the U.S. federal government, with an annual program cost of more than $900 billion a year, or approximately 25% of federal spending. There are 61 million individuals in the U.S. receiving Social Security benefits. 83% are retirees or the spouses and children of retirees, and 17% of recipients are disabled workers or their spouse and children. Now, Social Security is funded primarily through payroll taxes at a rate of 12.4% of an individual's earnings up to a maximum maximum earnings level of $118,500 in 2016. Employers usually pay half that amount with the employees paying the other half, but self-employed workers like me pay the entire 12.4%. 
94% of Social Security funding comes through payroll taxes, with the remaining coming from income taxes on some Social Security benefit payments, which is kind of a double whammy. You contribute to Social Security, and then if you have a higher income, let's say you got a really solid pension plan that you're collecting on, then you actually are paying taxes on your Social Security benefits. Now, Social Security retirement and disability benefits are paid out of two trust funds. One is for retirement benefits, so that's one trust fund. The other is a for disability benefits. And so over a period of decades, revenue from payroll taxes exceeded the amount that the Social Security Administration paid out. So there were some rever- reserves, and the reserves were invested in U.S. Treasury special obligation bonds. So these are special bonds. You can't buy these in the open market. They're the U.S. Treasury, because of the reserves, the U.S. Treasury essentially traded the tax revenue that came in because it all it's all one government, right? The federal government. So what we're really talking about here is bookkeeping and accounting. But the money comes in through payroll taxes, and then some of that money gets paid out in benefits But there was an excess that the U.S. Treasury kept and spent on other government programs. But from a bookkeeping perspective, they provided these special obligation bonds that is in the accounting entry for the trust funds for Social Security. It has a balance of $2.85 trillion. So that's the trust funds balance, and it pays about 3% in interest. That's the average annual interest rate in 2016. So that that's roughly $80 billion in interest that the Treasury then credits to, the U.S. Treasury then credits to the trust fund. But it's an accounting entry. So money flows in to this accounting entry called trust funds. It's not a separate bank account. It's just, just accounting. And then money flows out. In 2010, the amount of Social Security outlays exceeded the amount of revenue received, excluding interest, for the first time. And there's a big commotion about that. Last year, outlays were approximately 7% greater than non-interest revenue. So, for example, there was there's this trust fund accounting that you can look up. I'll put the link in the show notes. It showed $957 billion in receipts in 2016 and $922 billion in expenditures. But those receipts include the tax revenue plus the interest on the special obligation bonds. And that means the trust fund balances actually got bigger by about $35 billion between 2015 and 2016. The trust fund isn't shrinking yet. But here's the thing, and this is why people get worried. The Congressional Budget Office estimates that the disability trust fund which funds the disability payments, will be depleted by 2022 and the Retirement Benefits Trust Fund by 2030. Now, that's the Congressional Budget Office. They're an independent entity. They're affiliated with Congress, but their their job is to make estimates like this. The Social Security trustees did a similar analysis, but and theirs came out last year, but their analysis estimates the trust funds combined won't be to depleted until 2034. And so they they thought it would last longer than the Congressional Budget Office. So we're going to focus on the CBO's, CBO's analysis. But why did they differ? There was 
a, a testimony in front of Congress regarding this. And the main difference is because these are estimates. And I'm just going to walk through very quickly why they differ. But because you have to, there's a lot of embedded assumptions here. So the trustees report had higher estimates of earnings that were subject to the program's payroll taxes. So they figured that the U.S. citizens would make more. So that put a little more stability under the Social Security program that there would be higher labor force participation rates. We're going to talk about labor force participation in a little bit, but more workers means more payroll tax revenue going to them. Demographics, the trustees assumed higher fertility rates, so more people that were working because more babies being born. And the trustees' projection for higher real interest rates in the long run which would mean less impact due to inflation. And so those, there's a lot of nested assumptions here, but ultimately both entities are assuming that the trust funds will be depleted. Now here's the thing. Under current law, the Social Security Administration can only make benefit payments out of the trust funds. So once they are depleted, Beneficiaries, retirees, and those that are disabled will only receive payments in a given year that matches the amount of tax revenue received by that came into the trust fund. So money flows in, money flows out. It's not going bankrupt because there will continue to be payroll taxes coming in. The question is, what will the benefits be versus the tax revenue? Will the laws change? But under current laws, the Social Security Administration can only pay money from the trust funds. And so if the, if the trust funds get depleted, then it's, it's like having a savings account. If your savings account is depleted, the only way you can spend money is earn it somehow. So it would be tax revenue coming in and then immediately going to retirees, which is essentially what is happening today in the sense that the tax revenue comes into the trust fund and then the, then the outlays go to the beneficiaries. And then if there's excess, the federal government spends it on other programs, but the U.S. Treasury just has this little IOU, these special obligation bonds that are held in this accounting entry that they're paying interest on. But that's how it is. It's accounting, but that's how it works. So here are the CBO's estimates. that they're, The way we want to really look at this, because this is where it's nice to look at the big numbers, $900 billion. It's way more important with anything macro like this to focus on what is it as a percent of gross domestic product or GDP? What is the cost of Social Security relative to the value in dollars of, the, of goods and services produced in a given year in the United States? That's the wealth of the country, what we're able to produce in a given year. So Social Security outlays comprise 5% of gross domestic product in 2016. So the income, income the, the beneficiaries were paid about 5% of gross domestic product, so roughly $900 billion. In 2026, they estimate it'll be 5.9% of GDP. Why is that? Because we have baby boomers that are retiring, people are living longer, and so it becomes a larger part of the economy, 5.9%. By 2046, it will be 6.3%. These, again, these are all estimates, but that's what it's based on. So that, those are the outlays. 
The non-interest revenue, so just the payroll taxes, is estimated to be 4.6% of GDP in 2016, 4.4% in 2026, and 4.3% in 2046. Why is the percentage going down in terms of the payroll taxes revenue as a percent of the overall economy? Because workers are becoming more productive. There's assuming, they're assuming greater productivity, which means one worker is able to produce more goods and services per hour worked. And so if, if workers can produce more, then the value of the economy is going up, and they're assuming that their incomes will not go up as fast as the economy. So the payroll tax is coming in as, as a percent of the economy. Is it going to be as high? So it's going to be 4.3% in 2046 versus 4.4 or 4.6% in 2016. So if Congress makes no change to the Social Security program in 2046, instead of spending 6.3% of GDP in Social Security benefits, they're only going to be able to pay 4.3% of GDP because the income, the money coming in has to equal the money coming out if Congress doesn't make a change. So what we care about is this gap. The gap between scheduled outlays and the between the non-interest revenue coming in. So that gap in 2016 was only 0.4%. In 2026, estimated to be 1.5%. And in 2046, 2%. Now, after reading the Zero Hedge article and then doing some research, I was actually somewhat pleased. It wasn't as dire as I thought it was going to be. 2% of GDP gap right? That's not a big deal. That's a solvable problem to the extent it's even a problem at all. And and there's really four ways to solve it. First, we can create the money. Money is digits. The laws could be changed to where the government could just change the digits in the Social Security recipient's account and create the money to do that. They're not currently allowed to do that by law, but the laws could be changed. They could borrow money and in terms of just like the current budget deficit. If there's a deficit that the government runs, if they spend more than they receive in tax revenue, then they go out and they borrow the money. They issue U.S. Treasury bonds, and that is an accounting exercise to reduce that gap. We could do that for that 2% difference of GDP between the outlays and the tax revenue coming in. Benefits could be cut. They could spend less on the program. Or we could increase taxes and raise more money. So those are the solutions we're going to take a deeper look at to figure out well, what, what's the best way to go about this particular, just reducing that gap in terms of solving the Social Security crisis. Before we explore that, let me share some words from this week's sponsor. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com david. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. 
I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. So we're going to look at the four ways to close the gap or address the gap between the benefits that Social Security has promised and the expected revenue coming in through payroll taxes. The first is to create money, just to create it. Have the government just fill the gap because they have a monopoly over the currency and they can just simply change the digits in the recipient's accounts. This is what Jay was getting at, which is why I loved his question. He says, is it not true that the government can just start printing more money and writing checks to Social Security as long as the services and goods acquired by spending this money exist and grows at the pace at which Social Security funding grows? There theoretically should be no inflation. What's he getting at? The value of the country is its ability to produce goods and services. And if the government creates money to close the gap, the issue is, is there enough goods and services that this money is using to buy? If there's not, then that can create inflation. But if there is sufficient goods and services being produced, particularly through productivity improvements, then the government could literally create the money and close the gap. It is literally that simple. Now, they're not allowed to do that by law, which is why the second thing the government does is they could borrow the money. This is just simply an exercise that we go through because they have to close the accounting deficit. When the government spends more than it receives in tax revenue, it could create the it could just spend it and you have to create the money. It could just spend more than it receives. And the issue becomes, is there too much money flowing into the economy? And that potentially could could spark inflation if we've not produced enough goods and services. But instead, we don't do that. Instead, we go through the exercise of issuing treasury bonds and bills to fund the gap, the deficit. We could do that also for Social Security. Now, each year's deficits gets added to the national debt. And we're not going to talk about the national debt today because you can go to episode 126 and episode 106, and I talk about the national debt and why it's not a crisis 
at length in those episodes. But we could borrow the money. The federal government could borrow the money. The next thing they could do is they could cut the benefits. They could not make any changes, and Social Security could would only pay what comes in in terms of revenue. And so the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, estimates a worker born in 1980s who retires at age 65 would have their initial Social Security annual retirement benefit reduced by approximately $6,000 or 33%. So right now, in 2016 dollars, a worker born in the 80s that retires in 1965 would get an estimated $24,000 in the first year of retirement, and then that's adjusted for inflation thereafter. Instead, they would get $18,000. So that means that Social Security would not, right now it's set up to replace, the average worker replaces 45% of their last five years, their average earnings over their previous five years, the average annual earnings, Social Security is set up to replace about 45% of that. If the benefits are cut, it would only replace 32%. If you're in the lowest quintile of income, Social Security with those cuts would go from paying basically 80% of your pre-retirement income to about 58%. So it's pretty significant if there's a cut because that it's going to have a big impact on the economy because suddenly people are not going to have money to live. And that, that's a potential crisis. If you are were depending on Social Security and now you're, it's cut $6,000, that's significant. But that, that is an option. The third thing we could do is increase taxes. And, and the proposal that's usually put out is to just get rid of this cap. So right now, we're only taxed on our first $118,500 in annual income. We could be taxed on amounts more than that. But that would change the program in the sense that right now the vast majority of workers receive more in benefits than they pay in taxes. So if you if you were born in the 1980s, the Congressional Budget Office estimates that you will receive upon age 65 as a retiree $423,000 in benefits compared to $308,000 in taxes. Now, if, if we cut the benefits after the, the trust fund is depleted, then that average worker would only get around $308,000 in benefits. It would equal the taxes paid because that's how it would be when they retire. But right now, they're getting about $423,000 in benefits, so about $100,000 more than they pay in taxes. Now, the highest quintile, so those that are basically maxing out and paying Social Security tax on $118,500 worth of earnings, they get $664,000 of benefits. Again, these are somebody that retires in 1980 or or was born in 1980 and retires at age 65. Estimated to get $664,000 in benefits. And they pay $665,000 in taxes. So it's even. If benefits are cut, then they would only get about $502,000 in benefits. And they would still have paid about $650,000 in taxes. So they're going to get way less in benefits than they pay. Right now, it's equal. But if we raise taxes, again, they're going to pay even more. They'll pay beyond $650,000 in taxes. And they'll still only get about... 
$660,000 in benefits. And so that, that's the decision. If we raise taxes, then somebody is going to be paying more into the system than they're getting out. Now, most the average worker probably thinks they, they get what they paid in. In fact, that's not true. The average worker is getting about $100,000 more in benefits than they actually pay in. So Social Security, it's a very, very solvable problem. The gap is not that wide. We can create the money. We can borrow the money. That, those would be the preferred solutions versus cutting benefits or raising taxes, in my opinion. But it comes down to productivity. Will there be enough goods and services for the retirees to, to take advantage of if the government creates the money or borrows the money? Right now, there's about 153 million workers employed in the U.S., making things, goods and services, compared to about 320 million in population. So we have an employment-to-population ratio of 60%. U.S. Census Bureau estimates population will be about 344,000 or 344 million people, 345 million people in 2024. And the Bureau of Labor Statistics estimates will be about 163.8 million workers which means the employment-to-population ratio will only be about 48%. In other words, as the baby boom generations retire, there's going to be less workers per relative to the entire population as as a percentage, so the the employment-to-population ratio, which means they're going to be more productive. We're going to be making more things using technology to be able to do that. That's the real issue is, will we continue to become more productive. And right now, there is a productivity paradox in that productivity is not increasing as fast as it should be, where over the past 15 years, this is an article by Duncan Weldon. He writes, we are debating a problem we don't have. Rather than facing a real crisis, that is the polar opposite. And the problem we don't have is robots are going to take all our jobs. He goes on, productivity growth has slowed to a crawl over the last 15 or so years. Business investment has fallen and wage growth has been weak. If the robot revolution truly was underway, we would see surging capital expenditure and soaring productivity. Right now, that would be a nice problem to have. Instead, we have the reality of a weak growth and stagnant pay. The real and pressing concern when it comes to the job markets and automation is that robots aren't taking our jobs fast enough. Because the idea is that labor-saving technology will have a positive economic benefit. Yes, it it displaces workers, but in theory, the workers that remain will get higher-paying jobs, have excess income, that they can go buy additional goods and services that can be provided by the workers that got displaced by the technology. So everyone ends up wealthier. That's not happening now, and that's my biggest worry. There's another article linked to, linked to by Ryan Avent. He wrote it in Medium, and he's the senior editor and economics columnist at The Economist. And, and all these links you can find at moneyfortherestofus.com. That's where you'll find the links to the show notes. Or also there on the homepage, you can sign up for my insider's guide. Weekly, I'll send you those show notes to you as long, along with a summary article and other valuable content. That's the insider's guide, but moneyfortherestofus.com. So in theory, technology, what's happening, not, not in theory, this is what's happening in practice. Technology is increasing the supply of labor because people are becoming more connected through technology. You can, you can draw on 
a bigger workforce. And as a result, that's pushing down wages. And reduced wages reduces the incentive for businesses to invest in capital projects, such as robots, that could increase productivity. This is how Ryan Aventi describes it. He says, low labor costs discourage investments in labor-saving technology, potentially reducing productivity growth. We have an excess of labor right now. And as a result, we're in, this is globally, we're in a situation where robots are not coming on board because it's still cheaper to hire workers. And as a result, productivity is falling. Also, the displaced workers need money. So they're trying to find as much as any job they can. And so that is holding down wages. And there was another article in The Economist that equated this to horses. When agriculture mechanization came along, tractors, etc., horses were the excess labor. And the article says a demand for traditional horse work fell. Or as demand for traditional horse work fell, so did horse prices by about 80% between 1910 and 1950. This drop slowed the pace of mechanization in agriculture, but only by a little. Even at lower cost, too few new niches appeared to absorb the work or the workless ungulates, in other words, to absorb the horses. Lower prices eventually made it uneconomical for many owners to keep them. Horses, so to speak, left the labor force. In some cases, though, the sale to meat or glue factory, as the number of working horses and mules in America fell from about 21 million in 1918 to only 3 million or so in 1960. The decline was mirrored in the overall horse population. That's scary because people are not horses. And as productivity-enhancing solutions such as robots come along, then they need other jobs or they need the government to step in to provide a social safety net. That, that's a big worry. Ryan Anidi Aventi, I'm sorry, says, given the structure of our social safety net, automation tends to increase poverty and inequality rather than unemployment. So unemployment doesn't necessarily increase because the workers are going to go find something to do, and, and, but it reduces wages, which further reduces the incentive for companies to increase productivity in terms of productivity investments, which puts Social Security more at risk if we don't grow the economy fast enough, which means the gap could be even bigger. So the bottom line is Social Security is not going bankrupt. The money flows in, the money flows out. At some point, the trust funds will be depleted. To what extent they're depleted, how quickly depends on a lot of assumptions, including the size of the labor market, how productive the economy is, and and many, many other assumptions. So we're going to have to wait and see what happens But don't spend time worrying about Social Security. The money will be there. The wealth of the nation is their ability to produce goods and services. And we're going to continue to do that. The transition to a more automated economy is ongoing. It's been going for decades and decades. It will continue to go. We don't know how that will turn out. Sometimes I spend my time worrying about that because of the the impact of technology and how it has held down wages. It has actually reduced productivity, which means less wealth for, for everyone. But we don't know how it will end. So we're going to have to continue to monitor and see how it evolves 
over time. The economy is not a machine that can be controlled from the top down. It is a bottom-up phenomena. Government can have an impact and influence in terms of the, the, the rules of the game in terms of how they, they help out those that sort of fall off and, and aren't able to work in the game or are retired from the game, such as Social Security. But these are all very solvable problems, and we'll see what happens. Everything I share with you in this show has been for general education only. I've not considered your specific risk profile. I've not provided investment advice, simply general education on money, investing the economy. Have a great week. <laughs> 